Hello, and thank you for joining us today. I'm Laura Evans, and you are listening to another edition of Hope for the Hurting. Our mission is simple. We want to provide hope and help to those who are hurting, lost, lonely, and in despair. My background is in broadcasting and radio, and I'm joined by my dad, Dr. Irv Wolf, who, in addition to being a pastor for over 30 years, has a background in marriage and family therapy. Dr. Irv has authored two books, and he's the director of Hopewell Counseling in Minnesota, where he and my mom counsel individuals and couples. And today we are discussing EI, emotional intelligence, also known as emotional quotient, EQ. They're kind of both used. EQ like IQ, IQ intelligence quotient. Right. Which, by the way, doesn't change not very much over the years. What doesn't change? Your intelligence oh, your, quotient. Your intelligence quotient. But okay. your EQ, your emotional intelligence, can change quite a bit. Uh, you can get insights uh, and you can grow and you can become more aware, self aware. Sure. And you can become a person who goes from being pretty emotionally dense to being emotionally intelligent. Okay, so there's hope. So you're saying there's a chance. (laughs) There's a chance. Yes, you are. And it's an important thing, uh, in especially in our field in counseling, to see people and to have emotional intelligence ourselves, but also to see and encourage people to become emotionally intelligent. Because an awful lot of people have very low self-awareness. Right. Uh, They just don't know themselves. And they have a hard time in relationships yeah. Uh, because uh, for many people, their EI is pretty, uh, pretty low and they are not focused on social skills and they don't have many. I bet so, you see that all the time. And I bet it's very difficult to talk to someone like that because they're not even open to hearing what you have to say. Yeah. Uh, emotional intelligence focuses on What kind of emotions are coming out of this other person? How can I help them? I I think I told the story about a friend of ours who had a really rough day at work and he came home only to find in his parking space, in his garage, his five-year-old daughter was drawing with chalk art on the garage floor Mm -hmm. and making a mess. And he came home and he was stressed out and he got out of the car and slammed the car door, came over to her and said, what do you think you're doing? Get out of the way. I've got to park my car. You can't have all of this chalk and dust everywhere. And she just looked at him and then she hugged him around the knees and she said, you must have had a really terrible day, dad. Oh, that's (laughs) so sweet. And he kind of melted. And at that point he got down and drew chalk art with her. Isn't that sweet? On the garage floor. In his suit. That's sweet. In his suit. And I just think to myself, okay, she had a lot more emotional intelligence than he did. Yeah, really? She was focused on his emotions more than his words, his emotions that were coming out of him. And her response was uh, beautiful. Mm-hmm. It was just a beautiful response. It, mm-hmm. it, it knocked the air right out of him and all the anger right out of him. Yeah. Do you think some people are just wired to be more emotionally intelligent than other people? Like they're kind of, that's just how they're wired. I, I think some people are have an emotional intelligence about them that is innate. They mm-hmm. just came by it. For a lot of others, they grew up in a family that was very savvy. 
they were into emotional intelligence and they understood each other's feelings. Right. And they were not cruel or snarky or, you know, harsh with each other. They were very sensitive to each other's feelings. And I think you see that, but that's not, that's not the norm. I can tell you that. Well, what about like this in the same household? I got like an example for me would be (laughs) yesterday I was home from work. I was sick. I told the boys, I'm going to lay down. When I get up, I'll make you some dinner. I'm not feeling good. Both of them knew, right? I go, I lay down, I get up from my nap, still not feeling good, but I need to make them dinner. I go into the kitchen and my oldest one says to me, what's for dinner? I'm like, oh, and my little one's like, mom, are you feeling okay? How are you doing? <laughs> well, I can tell I'm you. like, okay, they have the exact same parenting. They have the exact same biological. <laughs> what is going on here? What's for dinner, I'm hungry. Yep, well, you're, you're talking about EI. And you're talking about someone who may have a good IQ, but not necessarily a good EI. But I, so I just took that as a teachable moment. And I said, you know, sweetheart, I said, when someone's not feeling good, the last thing they want to hear is what's for dinner. And I said, you need to learn this because your future wife, she's going to be wired the same way. She wants to know, how are you doing? Do you need help with anything? Can I help you? (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. Uh, Mature people have learned the skills of being emotionally tuned into other people. And that's what it boils down to. Right. You're, you're tuned into not just their words, but their emotions. Mm-hmm. And if you're mature, you've learned to do that. And that's, that's a skill that comes with both, uh, oftentimes with age, but, but hopefully it comes uh, in time that uh, you actually become good at it. There are people who notoriously do not have good EI and good uh, skills in this area. Uh, I think of engineers in general, uh, whether they are structural engineers, uh, whether they are nuclear engineers, chemical engineers, they like concrete sequential things where they can see them and they can put them together and don't talk about feelings and don't talk about emotions because that's getting into the soft sciences and we like the hard sciences. Right. Uh, So they usually score pretty low on emotional intelligence. Really? Which means as long as they're in front of their computer crunching numbers and doing projects, they're fine. If they have to interact with a group, they're in trouble. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're gonna make people ticked off. They're gonna offend people. It's, It's a lot more difficult. Okay, but if I'm in a boat and it's sinking, I want them with me. Oh yes, I'm, I don't I'm care. Not trying. <laughs> I don't care about their EI. I am not. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not trying to diminish them. We need them, but right. I'm just saying it wouldn't hurt them to yes. get a little EI mm-hmm. as well as uh, all of their organizational skills. There's two extremes uh, when it comes to emotional intelligence. Uh, one of them is the narcissist. And the other opposite is the people pleaser. The narcissist is somebody who overvalues himself or herself and undervalues other people. Mm-hmm. In other words, I never met a mirror I didn't like. Oh yeah. I am the center of my universe. Yep. You all serve me. You're in my play. I'm the lead. And that's kind of how it is with a narcissist. And you're welcome. I'll let you join me. <laughs> And the people pleaser is somebody who overvalues others 
and undervalues themselves. It, it is hard to be a team player in a relationship where you're either a narcissist or you're a people pleaser because those kind of people make it difficult to build a solid relationship with. Starting point, how do you grow emotional intelligence? That's an excellent question. Yes, the starting point is becoming self-aware. Mm -hmm. um, other people see things in us that we don't see in ourselves. So it's important that we be open to the feedback of other people instead of getting defensive, yeah. instead of throwing up walls, yep. uh, to be able to accept what people are saying about us. Uh, I remember seeing the movie A Beautiful Mind with Russell Crowe, mm -hmm. and he was John Nash, the Princeton mathematician who won the Nobel Prize mm -hmm. for mathematics. He was schizophrenic, and he saw figures from his childhood, and he saw them as though they were real people. Well, after he had treatment, and he was hired back by Princeton in the mathematics department, one of the scenes in the movie has him walking down the hall with a fellow mathematician. At the end of the hall, here are three of his figures that were invented in his mind uh, that are talking to him. And John Nash says to the guy next to him, can you see them? And the guy says, see who? He says, just checking. <laughs> Reality check. Reality check. You know, that's so true. We need, we need trusted people in our life that we can do a reality check with. <laughs> yep. Am I yep. going crazy here? Somebody that is that is going to tell you the truth, yes, and somebody that will help you be self-aware. Yep. There, there is a um, a certain measure of gaslighting. Mm. Gaslighting is a term that's used for trying to make people think that they're going crazy. Yes. You're not mm -hmm. telling them the truth. You want them to believe a lie, and so you are trying to gaslight them or make them think that they're going crazy. And it goes back to an old film. The husband who was uh, the villain was trying to make his wife go crazy. And so he kept constantly lowering the gas lamps and making them dimmer. And she would say, is it dark in here? And he'd say, no, it's perfectly fine. It's just like it was yesterday. Mm. And all the time he's lowering the uh, light on that's coming out of the gas lamps. Right. And doing other things to make her think that she's going crazy. Mm-hmm. And she was believing it mm -hmm. until all of a sudden it got exposed. Being aware and not being, not allowing yourself to be gaslit by somebody. Right. To right. where they're trying to make you think you're nuts. No. And I would encourage people because I've been in a relationship like that, that if you are in a relationship where you're feeling like someone is gaslighting you, you need the help of a professional. You need to be talking to a counselor where you can bounce things off of and they can say no you are not going crazy. Because when I was in that situation, that was the only thing that helped me keep my sanity. Yeah, just to be able to say, is this real? Is right. this really what's right. happening? And I would run scenarios past her and she'd say, nope, this is what's going on here. And she helped me navigate through some really scary times. So I would just encourage anybody to, to get counseling if that's what's going on in, your, in, in a relationship that you can't get away from. Good, wise counsel. Well, sometimes we find ourselves continually coming into the same spot and kind of hitting our head against a wall over and over in mm -hmm. relationships. At that point, there is a place for stepping back and saying, am I the issue? You know, I, I keep wanting to think it's other people, but maybe it's me. 
-hmm. And I need to change some things that I'm doing uh, so that I'm much more uh, savvy and much more aware of this flaws in my own life so that I can change them and become a more uh, attractive, healthy person. It can be assessed. That is EI or EQ can be assessed and can improve. Understanding that God has wired us all differently. Uh, we all have different levels of emotions and different, uh, different degrees of emotions. We have unique personalities. Uh, we have unique strengths and temperaments. We also have unique limitations and skills. You know, the idea that you can be anything you want to be is just not true. Mm -hmm. uh, some people are gifted to do some things and other people are gifted to do other things. And if they try to, you know, cross and do something that they're not gifted to do, it doesn't usually work all that well. So part of EQ or EI is to, to be able to understand I have limitations and I can accept my limitations. Right, right. Finally, I want to talk about the fact that emotionally intelligent people are wise. Uh, they are people who the Bible calls wise people. Somebody who is wise is someone that God has given wisdom to, and it's God's wisdom that is given to them. Listen to Proverbs 3, 7. We are not to be wise in our own eyes. Now, what does that mean to you, Laura? What do you think? Wise Being in, wise your, own in eyes. your own eyes. <laughs> I think of politicians. <laughs> I think of people who think they have all the answers and are really not open to feedback. Yeah. 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 That a lot of that is true. I mean, these are people who in their own eyes, they don't need any input from anybody else because they've got this thing. That's right. They've got this. And in fact, they, pull up a seat because they're going to tell you a thing or two. Yeah. You want to teach them? Mm -hmm. No, no. They want to teach you. So it's being open to receiving input and instruction and not assuming that you have it all together and that you have all the answers because you, like all of us, we all have blind spots and we need other people's help to right. see those blind spots and identify them so that we can make corrections and changes. Mm -hmm. Here's another one. This is Proverbs 19.20. It says, listen to counsel, accept discipline, that you may be wise the rest of your lives. Well, wise people understand they manage their own emotions. They are able to empathize with the emotions of others. And they are healthy, emotional people. They are people who are able to put up boundaries because they have a healthy sense of who they are. They know who they are. Mm -hmm. So they're not afraid to uh, put up boundaries. One of the things we've <clears throat> had to come to the conclusion of in counseling is we know we can't help everybody. Mm -hmm. uh, there are people that will come to us that we just simply cannot help. And we need to refer them mm -hmm. to others or to decline to meet with them because they are way beyond what we're capable of doing in counseling. Uh, the ability to be able to know your limitations and know your boundaries is a big part of emotional intelligence. Right, right. Absolutely. Protects you and protects, protects the other people. Yeah, somebody has said boundaries are like building a fence between you and your neighbors. Fences make for good neighbors mm -hmm. because they're not coming on your property. You're not going on their property. And that fence is your boundary. Right. And we need to be able to put up boundaries uh, in our lives. 
one of the things that I had to do that was a very difficult thing to do is to uh, basically say to someone that I knew, uh, I cannot keep up the friendship with you. Mm-hmm. I can't do it anymore. Uh, we were friends at one time on that stage of the journey. We were mm-hmm. great friends. You've moved on. I've moved on. I can't keep up that friendship for the rest of my life. I've got too many other things going on to be able to keep accumulating friendships mm-hmm. over the years. And that was one of the more difficult things because I don't think this particular person, this man, understood that I was not as much rejecting him as I am. I can't keep up the friendship with everybody that wants to be part of my life from the past. Mm -hmm. I can't do it. And I think, too, it's who's going the same direction you are. Because if you really don't have a lot in common, it really doesn't make sense to keep those relationships going. Yeah. And and this is a relationship from back uh, when I was pastoring in Plymouth, Minnesota. Mm. Uh, I knew him back then, but boy, that's four or five churches ago. Right. I just don't have time to do that. You're a little like the Dalai Lama. I mean, <laughs> people just want to hear you, Dad. Yeah, yeah, right. If I could just, if I could just touch his robe. If I could if just... I could... <laughs> Stop it. Virtually. <laughs> It's a Zoom but, chat once a week. Is that too much to ask? Come on. <laughs> but, but, but learning to put up boundaries, even around friendships, uh, because for a lot of people, they just keep accumulating. They're like Velcro. Right. You know, it just keeps sticking to them and they can't unstick them. See, the difference between you and other people is other people just drop out. They just do that whole gray rock you know, radio silence, they just drop off the planet. You actually say, you know what? Really kind of over full right now. I really don't have time for this. Well, and that's why it was such a difficult conversation. You're just honest, which I appreciate. It sounds harsh, but, but how is it any less harsh to just stop talking to someone? At least that guy knows where he stands with you. Oh yes. Oh yes. And, and that was hard. And, and we parted as friends. We, we were great friends at that stage of the journey. Mm-hmm. And that's an okay thing to say. It's an okay thing to say. You were a big part of my life right. at that stage of the journey. Right. And and now you have kids and grandkids and, you know, a lot of yep. stuff going on. Yep. I'm not where I was back then. Right. And uh, I've had that happen on a number of occasions where I've had to say to people, I really don't think we can continue communicating, corresponding, emailing, texting, because I've just got so much going on right now and I can't maintain the relationship anymore. I gotta say, Dad, I I admire that because a lot of people just go, you know, they go cold turkey. They just stop talking to them. Yep, they just do a cutoff. Right, right. And then you don't know, was it me? Was it something I said? Was it, and it might be nothing. It might be just the fact that they're maxed out. Yep. They have no extra time. Yep, they're, they're doing a cold turkey cutoff. Yep. And I don't do cold turkey cutoffs. I like to let people know that, yeah, either we are connected and we're great friends and you're a part of my life and I need you. Mm-hmm. And I want to be part of your life. Or, you know, you were great at that stage in my life and I really appreciated you and valued you, but you've moved on and I've moved on. Mm-hmm. 
Right. And I got to say, Dad, I'm pretty proud of your e EI right now. <laughs> thinking it's, I'm thinking it's pretty good. I'm thinking you're doing pretty good. <laughs> well, it's not easy. I can tell you. And I hate, hate having to do it, but you know, it's got to be done because if I don't do it, then I'm just getting resentful. Right. I get resentful then. Something that happened to me that I think even just a year or two ago, I would have handled differently, but I had a situation at work where um, I had a meeting with my boss and I felt it was very unfair. And there was a lot of things that I wanted to say that I didn't say. I bit my tongue. They asked me, do you have anything to say? Is there anything you'd like to say about this? And I said, you know what? And I, I mean, I just, I just wanted to go. I just wanted to dump it all out. And I said, you know, I just, I just need time to, to process what you've said. And I need time to think about it. So I took, you know, some time to think about it. And I prayed about it. And I spent, um, you know, a few days wrestling about it. And I thought, you know what, me saying anything and me um, trying to argue and defend myself, it's not going to do any good. And it's not going to make me look very good. So I just took it with a grain of salt. I know what's true. I know what's not true. And I just chose to have a positive attitude. I went to work the next day. I had a positive attitude. I was happy. I was helpful. I was the best version of me that I could possibly be. Well, fast forward now a month and my boss said, we want to offer you a different position in the company. We didn't feel like that particular role was good for you, but because you had such an amazing attitude and because you handled that feedback so well, we found an even better position for you. Same pay, same benefits. And I love my new job a whole lot better than I liked yeah. my last one. All because I bit my tongue. I bit neat? my tongue and, and that was and so some... hard. It was so hard because it was so unfair. But I yep, thought, the temptation is to give it to them. Yep. Yeah. All because I chose to bite my tongue. Very wise. I can see that uh, you've learned a lot over the years. You, that was a hard lesson. <laughs> yeah. You have become uh, more mature in terms of your choice of uh, when to speak and when to be silent. I, I like Billy Graham. Uh, I was saved through the Billy Graham crusade. Uh, in Oakland, California. And Billy Graham always said about people, he said, I get people that criticize me and I don't defend myself. He said, because those people that are for me, I don't have to defend myself to them. And those people that are against me, no matter what I say, I'm not going to be right. Mm -hmm. So I don't defend myself. And that's a lot like Jesus before right. Pilate, who refused to defend himself. Yes. He had every right to, but he didn't. I was thinking that as you as you gave that example. That's exactly what Jesus did. Thank you for joining us today. We're just so grateful that you chose to give us some of your time. New episodes are uploaded every Sunday morning. You can find our podcast on several platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Radio Public. Current and past episodes can also be located at hopewellcouncil.com. If you have any comments or a question you'd like Dr. Irv to address on a future show, please send an email to hopewellcouncil at gmail.com. And I'll leave you with two verses on, on wisdom. James 1.19, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. And Proverbs 15.1, which is one of my favorites, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger.